Hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 12, verse 16b. Do not be conceited. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you teach us so many important things as we open the pages of Scripture together. Lord, we're grateful for the strong and the kind way that you lead us, your people. And God, we thank you that you are always at work drawing men and women to yourself. I'm grateful for those that are here today, Lord, that that are just sort of trying to figure the world and you out a little bit. And I pray today, Lord, you'd show your heart to them. For those of us that have made firm commitments to you, Lord, I pray that we grow today. I thank you for your word that guides us, directs our steps. Lord, as we look at it together, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you give us tender hearts that will receive your word like a seed planted in rich soil. God, we pray that you give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. Lord, make our hands strong that that our work in this world would be as your own. Now, Lord, we pray that a word of testimony in life would be found on our tongues. This is our prayer, together in the strong name of Jesus. And we say together, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. As you do, you might want to find a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. This is the second in a three-part series titled Squeezed. Uh, Last week, we introduced that series. I told you about my childhood pastor, Pastor Jim Brandon, and and, and how every pastor has basically a handful of sermons. And one of his sermons, uh, you could have titled it Squeezed. He was so fond of quoting the Phillips paraphrase uh, of this great passage of Scripture in in Romans chapter 12. He would often say, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Uh, I was rereading The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, and there was a a character uh, in that uh, who was telling the story of how he lost his way, how he lost his faith. And and he said, I I stopped praying and I stopped resisting. What did he stop resisting? That pressure that comes around us, little by little, that pressure that comes around us uh, to move us away from what God would have us to be and to do in the world. Uh, And I said we'd look at at three little imperatives that that empower us or equip us not to be squeezed into the pattern of the world. And the one we looked at last week was was the little command, do not conform. Do not be conformed. And this week, uh, it comes from uh, later down in the chapter, and it's do not be conceited. This is our command for this week. And you say, now Matt, hold on a second. Tap the brakes. You want me to think about being less conceited. Now, if I do that, that requires me to think of myself more. And as I think of myself more, won't by definition I just become more conceited? Possibly. But the text of Scripture that that speaks to this reality gives us firm footing to stand on. And so the focus for today is Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. As we read these words from, from Romans 12, 3 to 8, uh, there, there are two principles that emerge from these sentences that will help us to be not only less conceited, but more alive and like Jesus. I, I'm calling these two principles today the supply of the Spirit of Jesus. Here's a second one. It's kind of weird. Uh, the physiology 
of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So let's first read the text, and then we'll tease out these, these two principles. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul writes the Romans, uh, and he said in earlier, what we looked at last week, he said, in view of God's mercy, present yourself. Uh, act as a priest unto God and present as an offering to God yourself. Uh, he'd been talking about the grace of God. He'd been talking about the gospel. He'd been talking about all that God had done to bring us to himself uh, and to change our lives and to give us hope and a future. And, and Paul said, in view of all this, Give yourself to God. He said, don't be conformed to the world around you, but give yourself to God and continually be transformed by his kindness and his mercy. And he continues on. And, and here in this week, we have do not be conceited. And he begins by talking about the grace of God present in his life. He lived his life with a deep sense of the supply of life that comes from the grace of God. He said, I write to you by the grace given to me. Paul never got over his salvation experience. He never got over his call to ministry. For Paul, these things were intertwined. They were one in the same. He was called to God, and, and God just swept him up into his great adventure in the world. And it was all grace, every day, all the time. He never forgot where he'd been. He'd never forgot what Christ had done to change him. And every single day, he received with gladness in his own life the flow of God's kindness and mercy and grace through the resurrected power of Christ Jesus our Lord. So when he, when he wrote to people, when he preached, when he organized, when he led, he did all of these things with a deep abiding sense of God's abundant grace and kindness. So he takes his pen and he says, through the grace given to me, I write to you. This is not a standalone sentence in the writings of Paul. It just saturates, just saturates his letters. One of the places where he puts the cookie on the lowest shelf uh, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. That, that's his Popeye line. I am what I am. 
By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Paul had this great tension in his life. He he didn't just sit around and say, okay, God will handle it all. God is so exhaustingly sovereign, he's just got it worked out, and so I'm just going to sit here and watch things happen. I had a friend like that uh, in college. He was trying on some new theology, and he was also dumb as a bag of hammers. You know a guy like that? Uh, and he took a, he took a gun, a, a paintball gun, and he shot a security guard uh, right in the chest with a red paintball gun. And he's about to lose it all. He thought he was going to kick him out of school. I said, Sammy, how are you feeling about this? And he said, I'm just glad that's behind me, you know. Um, Sammy just thought it was all in the cards, you know. Well, Paul didn't sit around like that. But he also wasn't like some, you know, preacher on late night who, who said it's up to me. He, it wasn't like, if it's going to be, it's up to me. No, he had this very... Very mature, grown-up, God-honoring, responsible sense of life. And he said, everything that I do is because of the grace of God. He said, I worked harder than anybody else. But it wasn't me working, but the grace of God that was in me. He said, God has been gracious to me, and his grace was not without effect. It was a grace that knew uh, the stain of, of, of sweat in the eye. But it's a grace that knew life lived through the supply of Jesus. One of my favorite lines in Paul's writing, and it's, and it's almost a throwaway line. Uh, it's, it's in Philippians chapter 1, uh, down at verse 19. He's just writing to this church that he loves so much. It's a sort of a thank you letter to this church. And, he, and he's writing them to get along together in the Lord. Uh, and he writes about the joy of serving together and the joy of the gospel and unity in the gospel and, and here he's thanking them for their prayers. And he's talking about the, the, the place that he's in and the, and the bind that he is in and the confidence in his deliverance. And he says that I believe through your supplication and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I will taste my deliverance. The supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let that sentence that little phrase, just go down deep. When Paul says, I write to you through the grace that God is giving me, he, he could have said in the same place, and it would have been absolutely the same thought, I write to you through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That is the grace that had effect in his life. That was the grace that went to work. That was the grace that kept him appropriately humble. That's the grace that gave him power. That grace is the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Michael Green said, oddly enough, we tap that power as as we do bring our supplications before the Lord, as we admit our need for him, as we ask for his strength and his grace, uh, and as we walk humbly before God, as we humble ourselves before him, he, he lifts us up through his mighty hand. And we know the power that comes through the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. I like to read older books, and, uh, and recently I, I read a book by Ralph Herring, and the title of that book was God uh, Being My Helper. 
It was his pastoral theology of the Holy Spirit. I was introduced to Ralph Herring when he wrote a book with Frank Stagg, a, a very simple book uh, called Understanding Scripture or Understanding the Bible. Something like, just right here, very plain. Here's how to understand the Bible. For many, many years, Herring was the pastor of First Baptist Church, Winston-Salem, North, North Carolina, one of these old, old-time models of the scholar-pastor. And this book was, was a series of reflections on the, on the Holy Spirit. On the Spirit of Jesus. And there was a whole chapter in that book dedicated to this beautiful little phrase, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he, he talked about the origin of that word, that, that word supply. And he talks about how we get our word chorus from that word. And he said, in the earliest days of, of that word's coinage and usage, it was used to describe these massive public arts events. Where, where there would be these big productions put on in the community, where there'd be large choruses and musicians and, and actors, and, and there would be great robes and, and, and great costumage, and, and there would be a, a, a theater there, an amphitheater, where all the people would come and said there would be somebody, there would be some great patron of this art that would pick up the tab and the community could come to this event and they could experience it together and they could experience it because someone took care of the supply. We're Greco-Romans, even to this day. Yesterday I I saw some football uh, and I experienced the supply. Friends, at this part of the year, you experience it in a, very, uh, in a very keen sense because there's still the caste system being discombobulated and confused in this part of the year. Non-conference games, it's like that. I have two preacher tickets. Uh, I have two preacher tickets. They're great tickets. I love sitting in my preacher seats. But you know what happens in the non-conference games early in the year? I have, I have friends with much better tickets that call me. And they say, Matt, would you like our much better tickets? We're going to sit with our friends who have... Much better tickets. <laughs> they don't say it like that, but that's the truth. And you know what's going on. And you do the dance because it's real. Uh, and you, yes, I'll tell you. You don't have to pray about that. You just take the tickets. <laughs> and so I gave my tickets to Robin, our children's minister. There's videos of her dancing in the stadium. Uh, and we, we all move around. And so Wes and I get to the club level seat. We get there so early because we're going to get to go in and eat free chicken fingers. Bless God. <laughs> And free ice cream. We cost them money yesterday. Wes and I can do some damage. We got there so early, we had to wait. People kept driving by in carts saying, can we help you guys? Are you in trouble? And we said, no, we're just kind of waiting to get in. They said, oh, no problem, no problem. We waited to get in. We watched Drayton McLean come in. Okay, that's the idea of supply, guys. That's how that works. You get to go and experience something that's provided for you richly by, by, by someone else. You get to go in and, and be part of that. That is the notion of supply. That, that's what Herring wrote about. And he said, and you, and you can take it on to other ideas. He said this. He said, the same thing is obvious in the strategy of war. Who can project a mighty task force converging upon an enemy stronghold without first solving the problems of supply? No general will adopt tactics which put his troops beyond the effective supply of their needs. Wes is reading this, this great little book now, uh, written many, many years ago. It's, it's juvenile fiction, a great little novel by Marie McSwiggin, a title, Snow Treasure. 
It's about four little kids in Norway. And the Nazis are, are about to come in and, and take over uh, their, their city. And the city leaders get together and they say, we cannot let them have the gold that is in the bank because they'll turn this into ammunition and planes. And, uh, and so they took the, by all consent, everyone had money in that bank. By consent of the community, they, they took the gold out and they hid it. And, and it was going to be the responsibility of four little children with toboggan sleds to take this bound gold and take it to the fjord and get it on a boat and get it to America because they were concerned in that community about the power of the supply. They knew if, if the Nazis got the gold, they would turn it into munitions. They had to, to think about the supply because the supply is powerful. The supply controls. The supply guides the supply. They risked their young lives for the sake of the supply. And y'all, when, when the Scripture tells us not to be conceited, the Scripture gives us ample, ample opportunity to follow that command and to live on the other side of it in the most vivifying ways because the Scripture promises us the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And Paul was living in the midst of this supply, so when he wrote, he could say, I write to you through the grace that God has given me. He said, well, Paul's special. Paul's a superhero. Paul, take his shirt off, and there was an emblem there. No. No. He was a flesh and blood failure, just like us that had been touched by the mercy of Christ. And in that same letter, not only did he talk about the supply that God gave him, but he talked about serving with the grace God provided them. And he also talked about the metron of faith, the measure of faith. And that can be understood in two ways. One, we measure our whole life by the faith, by, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that the gospel, the cross, and the empty tomb becomes the lens through which we interpret all of our experience. The metron of faith. That is certainly an appropriate way to understand that. But there's also this sense that God, in the life of every one of his disciples, gives a measure of faith uh, and God calls us to responsibility and to life based on what he has put into us, how he shaped us, how he's molded us, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the experiences, all of that stuff that makes us who we are. The measure of faith. God calls us to live our life based on that metric and not on our looking at other people around us and saying, hey, I'm better than him. Oh, man, I wish I could be like her. No. That type of lifestyle leads us to despair on the one hand and conceit on the other. And that's just the opposite of what he was calling us to. He was calling us to being comfortable in our skin and passionate about our days. He was calling us to a responsible life where we take what he has given us and we offer it back as a living sacrifice in his presence. So how do we live our life without conceit? How do we live our life with joy and with an effective graciousness about us? How do we do it? We do it by living our life according to the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. If you had your pencil, I hope you wrote it down. 
because we're moving on to number two. Uh, And that's what I'm calling the physiology of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, Do you need me to spell that word for you for your notes? I had to look it up. Uh, P-S-Y. No, I'm sorry. Um, You say, that's an earthy word to talk about the Spirit of Jesus. Remember, he called us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And here he gives us a very bodily picture of our life together uh, as his disciples. Uh, He calls us to common life and to recognize that we are a member of a greater body. That there is the body of Christ and we are part of that. He calls us to recognize our own. He starts with our own flesh and bone, our blood and marrow. He said, think about your bodies and all of those body parts and all of those things you do on a regular basis and how those things just work together. You catch that soccer ball as it comes speeding toward the net. Uh, your, your hands are involved. But your arms and your legs and your eyes and your courage and ever, all of that stuff goes into that one, one moment. That one function. And then he goes from this very earthy picture of our own everyday embodied life to our common embodied experience as his people. And one of the ways we can overcome uh, this temptation to con- conceit, to being conceited, is just to recognize that we are a part of the whole. One of the greatest leaders that I know, and, and I, I just pay attention to leaders, uh, one, of the, one of the greatest ones that I know just as a friend uh, is, is my friend John Anderson. John is just a good leader. You know, and we talk about different things, and, uh, and, and I, I'm sort of given to this notion of, of systems uh, and how we're part of a great organism, you know, a system, and he's a systems thinker. Uh, John just sort of has done this so long that it's become intuitive for him. Uh, he just can kind of oversee and see things. Uh, we were on a mission trip together on the Mosquito Coast in Nicaragua. Uh, we, we flew into Managua, then we took a tiny plane way, way, way out to the jungle. Then we took an old bus deep, deep, deep into the jungle, uh, and we spent time together in a little village on the Mosquito Coast. Now, in this village, there are animals literally everywhere. People do two things uh, in these communities. They grow rice and beans, uh, and they raise animals. It's subsistence living. Uh, and there's animals everywhere, and they're amazing. Those people who live on the coast, uh, they fish. Uh, and, they, and they work off the water. But in the little villages that are not on the coast, in the jungle, there's pigs, there's chickens, there's small horses, uh, there's cows. There's, you know, old McDonald had a farm and dropped it right there in the middle of the jungle. Uh, and, and all those critters just started making babies for a long time. There's just animals everywhere. And not a one of them were marked. There wasn't a brand or a tag on, on any one of them. Uh, and, and I just kind of thought that maybe these animals were held in common. So if you need an egg, you got an egg. If you need a chicken, you know, you'd fry the chicken. Uh, because this very communitarian kind of place, plus the Sandinistic influence, I just thought, hey, everything goes. Uh, and I learned quickly, no, your eggs were your eggs. And do not steal someone else's eggs. Uh, and I said, well, how do they know whose chickens are whose chickens? I said, because to me, a chicken looks like a chicken, and they're everywhere. He said, they know. They know. Uh, and John, after about a week, he started knowing where the ducks lived. Maybe he'd t- pay attention and he'd see somebody throwing out feed. And he'd want, he said, oh, yeah, that cow, that cow belongs in that little hut over there. 
That, those pigs, yeah, that, that's their pigs. And we started testing. I said, hey, those are your pigs? Our pigs. You know, John just watched the scene after about a week. He just knew where the pigs went. He knew where the ducks went. I was mesmerized. And so I started talking to him about it. I started talking to him about leadership stuff. Uh, and he said, Matt, I didn't really understand leadership until I took a physiology class. He said, and, and in my physiology class, he said, I learned the most important leadership lesson that, that I have ever learned. And I said, well, why don't you tell it to me? Uh, and I'll write it down. You know, I thought it was going to be this great treatise. He just said, everything is connected to everything else. I said, that's it? He said, that's it. Everything is connected to everything else. It's right here. And it's been here all along. You say, well, when you read these things, you say, well, what we've really got to do since we're part of the body and we're members, we've just got to really work together. Here's the deal. We do work together whether we want to or not. We do it well or we do it poorly, but everything is connected to everything else. And we're part of that. And so that means when we're functioning and we are healthy and we're being who God has supplied us and provided us to be, then we, in the most positive ways, contribute to the health of the whole and when we don't, the whole suffers because everything is connected to everything else. You see, Paul didn't want us to have a low opinion of ourselves. He called us to look at our, our lives with clear-eyed sobriety uh, and to have a sober judgment of ourselves. That means you are extremely valuable. as a part when you're not functioning we all feel it you're important but none of us are the whole and none of us are God and so he said, these gifts God has given you hey, you do it with the sense of the supply of God if you're to serve you serve with joy. If it's mercy, do that with joy. You ever known people that were really hard workers and bitter as acid? Doesn't fit. He said, the work you do, you do it with diligence, but you do it with grace, and you do it with a mind of the supply of Jesus, and you do it with life. And when you live it like that, when you recognize your place uh, in the whole, and when you recognize the supply of the Spirit of Jesus, you inoculate yourself from being burned out and from being conceited, from despair and arrogance, all at the same time. You know what's so beautiful about the gospel Number one, it's true. And number two, it works. And here, grace works to make us effective and to make us humble and to make us alive. Do not be conformed. Do not be conceited. Present yourselves in view of God's mercy, as a living sacrifice. God, we pray through the supply and the strength of the Spirit of Jesus that you would empower us and strengthen us to live our lives in ways that glorify and honor you.
Lord, I pray for those of us that know you that we would recommit ourselves today to walking with you humbly, that we would humble ourselves before you and ask you to empower us for the task that you have called us to, recognizing our place uh, in your community, in your body. Lord, I pray for those here that do not know you. I pray that, that today they would be interested and that their hearts would be open. And, and maybe, just maybe, they would begin to think about uh, your love and your grace and the invitation and forgiveness that you offer. Lord, I pray that multiple journeys begin today as we start with you uh, on the path that you want us to go, the very next steps you want us to take. Lord, as we stand and sing, help us to seal in our hearts the commitments that we make facing a brand new week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, let's stand up and let's sing together our hymn of commitment. David?